0: Oh my word, I wish you knew how many times I have restarted this episode. (laughs) Okay, here goes. I'm not going to delete this. Let's just get this started, Shirley Adele. What's happening? First and foremost, welcome to Legally Clueless episode 82. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, welcome to the tribe. And if, you know, you've been here from the get-go, from the jump, I really do appreciate you. Remember, if you want to link up on social media, on Twitter, Use the hashtag LegallyClueless. And on Instagram, it's at LegallyCluelessPodcast. I'm really excited about this particular episode because of the story that's coming up. I just find it super insightful and it's such a beautiful journey of understanding how things you go through in your childhood actually affect you in your adulthood. Listen to this.
1: I lost my dad when I was seven, and then I lost my mom when I was nine. I remember, like, after the funeral, we came back to Nairobi and my uncles, and he was like, so now we are going to separate you guys. So my elder siblings sort of went back home because they were sort of in college. Me and my younger brother had to, like, live with different families. I moved into a family where I had to adapt. Actually, I was going to run away. Someone would just stop me. and be like, what is this protruding from your back under <laughs> that jacket? I'm a tall guy in fashion who has a big body. Everyone in fashion is like, you need to be like a size zero. I was from the Eastlands. When well, you go into fashion and all these people are glamorous. And they're just like, me and this, my tumba clothes. I do think a lot about my parents. I feel sad every time I think about my dad. Because I feel like we never had... A connection so i don't think i really knew my dad
0: that's the story by brian and we're going to get into it a little later in this episode on 100 african stories so in this episode i want to talk about something that was triggered for me this week which is self-doubt ah self-doubt is real and it's such a bitch like <laughs> on a personal level self-doubt doesn't creep in too often but where I'm really going through it, oh, my God, is on a career level. You know, moving out of, for example, Kiss FM, which is where I was last working. So a huge radio station based in Kenya. And it's part of a bigger umbrella company that has about seven different radio stations, a print newspaper, a TV station at the time. So in that moment, in terms of like self-doubt with your career, there were a lot of buffers. I was working at one station that is under this huge company, so I'm not alone. <laughs> there are other presenters. I even have a co-host. Um, this company has budgets. So I, I did face self-doubt for sure, but it's not as extreme as now when I'm solo. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and not just solo, but in such a non traditional space that is constantly changing. It's so dynamic. It always feels like there is no formula to kind of get it right. That can be a very fun element, but when you're feeling doubtful about yourself, it can be a very nerve-wracking element. This past week, I was on a phone call for a campaign brief. So, company A wants to launch product B and they need help getting the word out there. So, they had approached me and I was on this call that had tons of people, including a person that I used to work with in terms of like my personal brand stuff. So, you know how you log on to Zoom, like a Zoom call... And we were like, maybe 20 people on that call. We were so many. It shows you the different names of the different people on it. As soon as I logged in and I was one of the last to... (laughs) Please don't judge me. I was one of the last to log in. I was still on time though. I see this person's name and I'm just like, what the hell? So of course, I chat my sisters, my husband's. And two of my other friends, I'm just like, look at this. You know, for them, they were just like, I think it's still good that you're accessing these spaces even without this particular person. Or they just laughed it off. Like, oh, Nairobi's so small. (laughs) Haha. Kept it moving. What it did for me was it triggered a lot of self-doubt. I don't understand it. I don't. But it did. So even on that call, I was chatting Falgun, my husband. I was just like, you're... Even this campaign, I don't even know if I feel it anymore. I was like, you know what? It's Even this product It's not for me. Like, why me? I don't see myself. Like, the doubt was just creeping in, creeping in, creeping in. And what I didn't do was catch that first thought. Then, by the time I was done with this phone call, where my thoughts had reached were... Can I really do this whole thing alone? Like I see so many other people in this space, not specifically podcasting, but let's call it new media. And these people have teams. I used to have a team. So I'm like, was that the right move? Like, can I really do this thing alone? Or have I put myself at a disadvantage? Does this mean me doing it alone? Does it mean I'm destined to fail? Let me tell you, my thoughts were on crack. That self-doubt crack was so real because it was just thought after thought after thought. If I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but it's if you don't catch that first thought, it just gives birth to more thoughts, more thoughts, and it just gets overwhelming and exhausting. And please note, you still have to adult while all of these things are going through your head these emails you need to respond to these calls you need to jump on but in your head you're just like oh my god i'm shit i'm 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 a failure and it's things that you can't substantiate like you can't back it up but your head and this self doubt <laughs> has made this vague statement a fact so at a point i started trying to call myself out like Whoa, how have we even reached here? These thoughts are so real. Like, what's happening? Then the thoughts became, man, I'm so weak. How can I <laughs> how can I let this one person have this much power over me and trigger so much self-doubt? And instead of being compassionate to myself in that moment, I started being even more. Mina, actually, just saying, you're so weak. Like, how can this one person be the one who's like making you feel like this? What's wrong with you? So I was using these really harsh words on myself. So the spiral was just, even though I was in the moment of calling myself out, I was still being very unkind to myself. There are a couple of things I've learned either by myself or even through my therapist. I, I know my therapist constantly tells me to catch that first thought. Call it out. When you have that first thought, call it out so that it doesn't give birth to all of this other overwhelming nonsense. And every time I do catch that first thought and break it down to show how irrational it is, I'm saved from ending up in a full-blown anxiety attack. And every time I do not catch that first thought, oh my God, by thought 10, we're done. <laughs> it's a rough, It's overwhelming. Another thing that I did on that day is I have a file. So I have two, actually I have three files. Hey, I'm adulting. Well, (laughs) my office has files, but they're orange. (laughs) Anyway, so one of the files is for invoices. If you're listening to this and you owe me money, please do the right thing. Then there's a file for contracts. At the end of this particular day, when I'm having all of these thoughts, I went to the contracts file and I opened it. And it's a file I started at the beginning of this year when I started working by myself. And it has all the contracts of all the engagements and partnerships I've done from the beginning of the year. And I went through each and every one of them because sometimes, especially in such a long year like 2020 has been, you forget some of the wins and the achievements you had from, let's say, (laughs) pre-COVID, which was February for us in Kenya, right? And so I was like, oh, my God, I forgot I worked with this person. Oh, I pitched this and this went through like, you know what I mean? So going through that was kind of like refreshing what I'm capable of doing by myself and using that fuel kind of bring me out of this hole I've dug myself into. And it's almost the same as some tip where you're told to keep a record of all your achievements, be it in your journal or whatever, just in those moments you're feeling low about yourself or you're doubting your capabilities to go back to that and be like, hey, I'm a bad bitch. Look what I got done, right? (laughs) Another tip is journaling. I know I share this a lot, but personally for me, when I write down these irrational thoughts that I have, Something about seeing them either on a paper or on whichever app I'm using to journal. I'm like, wait, this doesn't make sense. Have you decided you're a failure? That's such a heavy statement. Okay, so why are you a failure? What is it that defines being a failure? And in tearing apart these thoughts, once I've written them down or I can see them in front of me, I can call out my own BS. Like I can can see that this thought is not real and it's not the truth. Something else that I think is worth thinking about is what is like your source of validation because on reflecting about why did this one person being on a call trigger me I realized that when I was working with them I had unconsciously is it unconsciously or subconsciously? One of those two. <laughs> Without actively knowing, I had made this person a source of validation for me. And I didn't even realize that I had appointed them chief of validation. <laughs> you know, that's something I'm still working on. Because I, I I really don't know how that happened. But I'm actively investigating what Is my source of validation, especially in a career space, because I don't want to be going through that every time. And then, lastly, again, my therapist is constantly on me for this, and I'm actively working on this. It's such a basic. Thing, but I forget, I forget to eat well. I'm actually meant to be cutting out coffee from my diet. I got a substitute, which is a herbal, let me just get the name of it. It's like a natural product. It's called, I don't know how to pronounce it, either Mushuna or Mukuna. I don't know, that all sounds so bad, but it's M-U-C-U-N-A. How do you pronounce that? So I got it from the place that I get my black seed oil, which is health to organics And it's meant to be a really good substitute when you're trying to get off coffee. So every time I try and quit coffee, which for my anxiety, I've been told I actively have to quit it. Every time I do, I get really bad migraines. And then I feel like a loss of energy throughout the day Even my mood is just off. Any other thing is a (laughs) drug. Because that sounds like withdrawals I'm explaining. But either way, I have to do it. So I haven't even restocked my coffee and i can see i have maybe two more mugs of coffee to go from my stash and i've literally told falgun please don't even think about bringing more coffee into this house like and then you also have to hydrate well which i'm glad i'm doing more of i think i'm just under two liters a day not bad not bad for a chick who (laughs) would go a whole day without drinking water but basically hydrating. And eating a balanced diet and getting rid of things like coffee, etc. from your diet actually do contribute to your mental wellness. It's just something that, uh, actually, let me not make it sound like it's a chore. It's something that I want to do for myself because it's something that's going to benefit me. Anyway, jumping into the song of the week. I'm so excited about this song. My God, please do check it out. Please, 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 please do. Because it's literally the soundtrack to where I am Right now (laughs) in my life where I don't ever want to go back to being that broken person who's living in fear and who didn't believe in themselves. And the name of the song is Can't Go Back. It's by Koji Radical. I hope I've pronounced his name right. So he's a British musician, but like looking at his music, this is my first time interacting with his music. It seems like there's a lot of African influences here and there in the art, in the dance, and in some of his lyrics. So I'm inclined to feel like he's from somewhere in Africa, but I'm not sure. In fact, let me just check. Actually, yeah, because his full name is Kwadwo Adu Genfi Amponsa. Eh, have I said it right? So that sounds very West African. I don't know where in West Africa, but... As of now, he's a British rapper and mixed media visual artist. Honestly, his music is art, and his music videos ah! OK, so please listen to this particular song. I' put the link to it in the description of this episode. It's everything. For you who is in a moment where you want to believe in yourself. It's one of those anthems, and then listen to it with your like through your headphones and blast it and just allow yourself for the entirety of the song to disconnect from the world. Okay, can you tell I really love <laughs> I really love the song? Please check it out. Please check it out. All right, so let's jump into a hundred African stories. I love this story because it's all about fitting in. Brian talks about losing his parents by the time he was nine. And for those of you who do not know, Brian Babu is one of the leading names in the fashion industry in East Africa. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa.
1: My name is Brian Babu. I am a stylist. I am an African. (laughs) A Kenyan and Alua Zulu yo. So I lost my dad when I was seven and then I lost my mom when I was nine. You see, when you lose um, family like that, guys are usually like, oh, what are they going to do? And usually what people really care about more is, how is he going to go to school? What is he going to wear? Where is he going to live?" But then it's very, not very many times people think about how this mentally affects your loss. And then there's all this change of you joining like a new family or you moving to a new place or you starting to adapt life without the people you are used to and even at some point because me and my siblings were not like living in the same home i moved into a family where i had to sort of adapt because i had older brothers and a younger brother then now the, i am now the old the eldest and i have to adapt onto this new space you're older than everyone else. You have to like act a certain way. You have to be an example. Well, somebody you just didn't care. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would make an example to anyone before I lost my parents. We used to be these fancy kids who were in these fancy fancy things that never get sense. Like there's something like KTN, but the club. We were part of that. Mm-hmm. So when my dad, sort of was not there. So my mom was like, yo. <laughs> This good life Mm -hmm. thing is about to, like, change a bit. We had so many assets. Then I think because of the hospital bills and stuff, a lot of things had to be done away with Mm -hmm. and sold. Like, we my dad owned a bus. That bus had to be sold. We owned a car. That car had to be sold. There was a lot of adjusting that had to happen. In the process of all this adjusting, then my mom got unwell. Then even eventually, her, she passed away again. I would say, like things happened a bit too fast. When you lose your parents, you're just like, what? what is this life going to look like? And it bothers you. It's just that you, also you can't talk about it because you're nine, and I don't think a nine-year-old probably would have words to express their anxiety of what the future would look like or what the future holds, you know? So I, I was in a state, I'd say... An, looking back I'd think it's anxiety. Mm-hmm. I think I'd just be like I was just like, hey, okay, so are you still going back to be in the same house? Mm-hmm. Are you going to live with our aunties? And then I remember like after the funeral we came back to Nairobi and with my uncles and he was like, So now um we're going to separate you guys. So you're going to live with your uncle so and so and this one will stay here and no one prepares you for that. Mm-hmm. Like and I don't think even like in terms of folks, they know how to deal with that. I feel like there's no like there's no like a handbook of this is the perfect way to deal with loss. Loss is very different. How it feels is also very different to various people. Even now as an as an adult, I'm not very receptive as loss. I think because over the years of I've of continuously lost people so i'm just like okay someone has died i'm like okay fine so when is the funeral you sort of build that mental resistance to it and also you sort of which is also something I've, i know i have and also has made me a very complex human being so people sometimes don't understand i'm like i don't really attach myself much to people (laughs) you don't know this person can walk out here and get and die my granddad Gave a speech at a wedding anniversary and made one step and fell down and died. Okay, life is clearly flaky. Before we got separated, yes, you we are like, also oh, this is happening because my uncle sort of talked about it. So my elder siblings sort of went back home <laughs> because they were sort of in college and me and my younger brother had to like live with different families. Yeah, we sort of had a discussion about it and then uh, we kept on doing the visits now. Oh, this one goes this side, this one goes this side. So it was a more... There was a lot of visitation. But also, you don't even know, like, it's... You are nine. My younger brother was, like, what, seven? At that point, you don't have, like, a choice to say, like, me by the way, I'm not feeling this story. <laughs> you like, you take it. You have been told it's an order. Okay, I think battling with fitting in came from this experience. It also developed me and made me develop an interesting character that's very complex. I consider myself a very complex person. Various people will get to understand various aspects of me, but I don't think any one person can understand me fully. Sometimes I feel like I try to hold the power not to give someone that much ax- access. Mm-hmm. Because now I was there, I'm trying to fit into this family. Also I'm trying to be molded and I'm just like, I may don't know. I no, that's not me. Mm-hmm. But then they're just like, but you are young, you need to get so I, it really didn't work out with the first family, mm. but I moved At some point, I was running away because I, I really, really, really I genuinely struggled with that part of fitting in to a family. And yes, I know for a fact like you, you need to try, but I really struggled with, with it. And then also the family we were with, no one actually took the time to sort of understand me as just Brian. And I feel like people need to do that with kids, even if they are not your kids. You need to be able to sit and just also understand this person you're living with, or this person you're being, even your own kids. Like, what do these kids like? What do these people... You also need to be able to pick cues on the things they like and things they dislike, and also find out why they don't like those things. I was about to run away, but I didn't. Actually, I was going to run away. Someone would just stop me <laughs> like... <laughs> Why are you looking so warm <laughs> in those clothes? What is this protruding from your back under you that jacket? So this family had three kids. Yeah. All of them were younger than me by a couple of years. So when they were going to school, when you get home, part of the futures that I needed that needed to be done was like checking booth, so one of these days that bought books and this kid had carried break and sort of poured the snacks in the bag, so I had to like sort of empty the bag, as I was emptying, I didn't know, I'd probably thrown a key out of the bag, and we still live like on the fourth floor, so I sort of just, what is the name of Tengue, <laughs> I shook I sort of emptied the contents of the bag and not knowing I don't know, probably the key was not even there man yeah. but it the next day when I came back for lunch because I, I was in a I was in a school that was close to home so every day I like, could come back for lunch during like lunchtime they were like yo so did you see a key in the bag i was like which bag where was it then i said or maybe i probably threw it away because i was just i sort of shook the bag i was throwing pouring out like the dirty contents in the bag like so i remember like someone just said like today if you don't find that key i'm just going to finish you it was made to feel like i had thrown the key intentionally away or maybe i was jealous or something the situation was very strange me thinking that i'm going to be killed i'm like guys i don't want to die i don't want to die i really don't i didn't go back to school the whole afternoon i actually missed the afternoon lessons but then i went back in the evening and picked my backpack i was just like i think i'm gonna run away because i don't think me i'm ready to die so i packed it was so strange I packed a bottle of water. I packed, I think, a change of underwear and a shirt and a top. And I wore open shoes. So on my way out, the help was like, "Where are you going?" I'm like, "I'm just going here. I'm coming back." What is that protruding <laughs> behind me Because I would put the bag. You know, you remember these crossbody bags that were so cool? So I put the crossbody bag on me. Then wore a jacket. The bag was. Sort of protruding from the back. And my uncle was sick. My uncle was like, what's going on? Why are you trying to run? Yeah. What is the problem? I could not even say anything. I was just like, I just want to die. So we ended up switching families. And then even in the next family, I, as much as I wanted to fit in, I still couldn't, you know? Because of people trying to mold me into this person that they felt like, yeah. like who is, like, they're like, you know, like boys don't do that. At some point, I started watching football. You guy, I was an Arsenal fan. (laughs) By default. (laughs) The home I was living in, people were Arsenal fans. So Brian had to be an Arsenal fan. So I became an Arsenal fan. Basically, there's this perception of what a masculine person should be and should look like. And, guys, I've really fallen short of this masculinity (laughs) chat. Even now, in my adulthood, guys are like, "Eh, you're not really as masculine. I'm like, well... I." I guess there's the whole aspect of people assuming that for you to be a man, Mm -hmm. there's all this masculinity, which is really toxic. I feel like men should just be the way you want to. You you need to define how you are. So, like, I was never a fan of football. Mm -hmm. I liked clothes. I was so, from a very young age, and I think because my mom used to own a tailoring shop, I was a clothes person. Mm -hmm. I loved clothes, and, you know, like, back in the early 2000s, in the late 90s, early 2000s mostly. Clothes were a woman thing. Like, this is like, this is 2020, man. And some people are just like, why do men have that so many pairs of shoes up? Like, Hala, because you want to look good. Like, why would you have two closets of clothes and you're a man? When a woman, it was like, you just need like two trousers, a pair of jeans, a few shirts mm. and one box. <laughs> What do you the whole set of boxes? Looking back also, I sort of get how my family was just like, we, we don't know how to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a very different thing. And as I said, it was not really a thing for men to be in fashion. It was mostly, mm-hmm. if a man was in fashion, it was like, maybe he didn't finish school and he was a tailor. Mm-hmm. Not a person who is going to school and is work <laughs> doing fashion. So... Mm-hmm. It used to, it wasn't, my family never got to really understand that layered side of me. At some point, because I struggled a lot with people understanding what my personality was, I sort of found a safe haven for me being alone. I liked keeping to myself, so I'd stay home, even like on the weekend, like people would go, oh, we are going to watch football, or we are going to play football, and I was just like um let me watch the beat then figure out my life after that so i used to go through magazines where i lived now there were magazines I used to buy magazines fashion magazines so in the process i found a new love apart from fashion which was music so i used to listen a lot a lot to music i used to like wait for the charts kiss was popular top 7 at 7 I, at some point i stopped watching tv altogether so i used to play the radio from morning when i wake up i turn on the radio at Six in the morning, and would we'll go off at 10. So I struggle again with fitting in, in high school. But then at some point in high school, I find a balance. Because again, I go to high school. I'm, I'm not masculine. I don't do push-ups. I, I'm, I'm from the city, of course. I go to a school in the village, in Kisumu. Shout out my Imbo people listening to this podcast. <laughs> so I never got to exactly fit in initially, because first I'm from the city, we were like five in One. we were like five of us who are from the city, mm-hmm. so of course already you're just like, course of all that my deputy teacher hated me when I walked in, he was like, you boys from Nairobi are all cheeky. <laughs> so I used to be beaten for no reason. Even if I'm talking, it's like, you're beaten, then you go to slash. So I was just like, what is this? Then I got, I felt sick. Um, my I remember my uncle was in the States and he was like paying for my school. He's so like, do you want me to change, do you want us to change the school for you so that... Like at, at some point I actually realized my family was trying mm-hmm. because yes, I'm good, I'm easy, but also I'm very... I'm very weird and also strange because I don't fit into what people do. So they was like, should, "Should we like find a school for you in Nairobi?" So that I was like, "No, let me try and make it on." So in high school, I made it work and like I got to to be this very popular person in high school, mm. and I think like my multiple personalities sort of all of them shown because I was not a top performer; I was an average performer. But I was like, if they had like the top 40 people going for a symposium, even in maths. <laughs> even in maths, guys, I used to go. <laughs> I used to be like, I'm not going to participate in this contest, but I will do one mathematics exam at the symposium to show this, to let these people know that I got some maths in me. <laughs> I used to be a chair, chairman of, of debating club. I used to be chairman of drama club. I used to be chairman of music. And then I used to be chairman of peer counselors. So I sort of... That's why I'm saying all my multiple personalities mm. because I love taking care of people. Mm. Also, like I, I love arguments. Okay, not... <laughs> I like arguing with facts at least and not just fighting. I love drama, like, mm. the, like acting and music. Then I love music as well. Sometimes I used to hit class because I was like... Can't I just be in school and just not be in class and just do all these other things that are so much fun? I'm a tall guy in fashion who has a big body. Of course, everyone in fashion is like, you need to be like a size zero or like a size 10. Yes, there's now a push for to be very inclusive, but basically men in fashion are usually very chiseled. you You go to the gym, you're fit. Yes, I'm working towards my fitness, but already you're trying to fit in and... You're standing out. So sometimes you, you're just like, how can I just not be seen? Mm-hmm. Or even if I'm being seen, how can I stand out completely? Also, when st- starting out, I think the only I only knew like how many people in fashion who are men. Wow, I only knew Sani, mm-hmm. Sani Dolat, and um, Kaveke, and Eddie Kirindo. Like, I literally only knew three people who are actually successful doing fashion, and they were men, you know? And then you sort of have to fit into this space that even your family was like what are you doing you're supposed to be in school (laughs) i don't think anyone could ever tell me i don't belong in fashion because i i think i've just had this confidence in fashion and it it was sort of an outlet for me a source of so much joy it's the one thing that gives me so much life like if everything else fails i think fashion should never fail me and i you know when you derive so much joy from something until it's like an addiction. It's like using drugs. I think that's what fashion is to me. This is the thing about me and <laughs> this fashion thing. I was from the Eastlands. Literally from the ghetto. <laughs> so when, when you go into fashion and all these people are glamorous, you know, and you're just like, me and this, my butumba clothes. Could I ever... So it was a, like, an is this like an imposter syndrome mm-hmm. in the beginning? Mm-hmm. I was just like, I, I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. So it was me. Who I was like, I don't think I'm built for this. I don't think, do I, you know, probably these guys are from like the right families. They know the right people. I don't think I know these people. I think when people sort of had a feel of the talent that I had, then I think the door slowly opened into me doing fashion and being this fashionable person. And being like a voice. I remember there's a time Annabelle said something and I was so shocked. Annabelle Onyango is a dope, like one of the most inspirational stylists I know, man. So Annabelle was like, Brand Babu, like we are reaching out to you to help us find this thing. You know, you are the stylist of note. I was like, Ah! Me! Me! Of notes! Hey, hey! Me, the I'm a stylist of note this is the thing so after high school you know i started suppressing also all these things again in the bid to fit in yes i started selling stuff i used to thrift like stuff from gikosh gikosh is like a very huge market in kenya and i had clients like i had i had good clients i used to have money (laughs) then i was like maybe this is not like a serious job people don't take you seriously when you're selling clothes so i i I got a, a job as a waiter i was trying to suppress I was like, this thing is not even, like, lasting. It's not, like, a proper job. You know? like Then I didn't think, like, fashion was a proper job. It wasn't, like, a thing. I got a job as a waiter just before campus. Guys, I waited for six months. That job is a lot, yo. But it's also fun. So you get to meet, like, interesting people. Then I got, I joined campus. And then right again, Instill this sup- suppression and this process of fitting in. So instead of getting a fashion course and getting to like, oh, you know, fashion doesn't pay, oh, fashion this, or oh, fashion that, so I went into economics and finance. In the process, um, I think I'd suppressed too much, and I started, I was also, because it, also in bid to survive in campus, I went back to selling my stuff. I was like, this is just like to help me, like go through campus. But then in the process, it was just like, I came to learn of these people, so I used to be like fashion. It used to be a huge event, like there used to be massive events. So I used to not sleep at night. I used to with this this photographer called Nick We used to go to these events, take pictures, and upload the pictures at midnight. So when guys woke up, they had their pictures. So me, I had seen, I would see people's pictures before they woke up. I learned that's when I learned of yeah. Kaveke. I learned yeah. of Sunny, and I learned of uh, Eddie. I was like, this guys. They look so glam. It looks like it's um it's it's sort of sorting out bills for them. Why not write to one of them and so try it try it out? That's how I wrote to Sani. And Sunny actually called me for a job, job, not like an, because I just wanted to work for free and sort of learn how this thing actually works and if it's something I'd actually be interested in. And with Sunny then I got some other thing and then just on and on. And then one day I just got invited to go for a South Seoul tour and I walked out of campus and I don't think I ever went back. I do think a lot about my parents. I do think a lot about my mom. I feel sad every time I think about my dad because I feel like we never had a connection. So I don't think I really knew my dad. That is the one thing that really sometimes kills me because I'm like, there are things I really can't connect to. I feel like even like in the journey of living with various people, I never got that father figure that's sort of made an effort or sort of connected with me as just me. They're just like, you are not doing this. Why? This is not masculine. And maybe I don't know, maybe my father would have been that, that kind of person. But what if maybe he was just like, okay, yeah, so this is who you are and you are not as masculine as people expect to be or people expect of a heterosexual person. But then this is who you are, so let's sort of understand that. Let's sort of understand who you are. Or maybe my life would have been very different, you know, because maybe I would have not needed to build all these layers of a person. Maybe I would have been a more simpler, straight, forward, easy-to-understand person. Because sometimes you see it with people and you you see that they're trying and then you're like, okay, how can I make it easier for you? Mm -hmm. Uh, How can I do this for you? Or how can I... So most of the time, you see, I try... Make I try make things about other people more so that it diverts the attention from me so that it's not they don't start also trying to dig too hard and and then you're just like maybe at some point your walls come up and then they can't access you and then they feel mm. they feel very frustrated in all this all those things all that growing up all that um, the loss the fitting in in families I think they've built this. Complex, Yes, complex man. But I think it's also a very beautiful man. I also love the fact that I'm in the process of a continuous process, not like in, but a continuous process of Mm self-discovery and self-understanding. And also I've built a lot of self-love. Sometimes I don't know if I want to have kids because if I get kids, I'd want to connect to my kids in such a way that if I was to die tomorrow, my kid would know me. Even with these multiple layers, I'd try my level best to connect to my kid and also just to try and learn how to express myself so that also help my kid to express themselves better and also to just build a personality of themselves you know what is masculinity now masculinity is what you decide masculinity is for you as i said i don't think there's anything uniform for people i don't think so and i don't think people's personalities need to be put in a box that for you to be a woman, you need to be like this, or for you to be a man, it should be, should be at there's femininity. There's so many dimensions to masculinity and femininity, mm-hmm. and people, I feel like it's important for people to open up their minds. To look at what masculinity is and femininity is differently, especially in this day and age, and be more inclusive. As much as the people are like trying to be inclusive with body sizes and sexuality, I feel like people need to be inclusive of personality, different personalities as well. That's because even if you're heterosexual, you can have this, all these other layers that are not really as masculine as people want, but they're masculine.
0: Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. I'm so thankful that Brian shared his story on this podcast. You know, the thing is, like, Brian and I are friends. He styled me a couple of times, and I was just like, what? I never knew this about you. But it's also understandable because unless somebody is one of, like, your close circle people, it's hard to have deep conversations about their life story, where they're from, What are some of the vulnerable points they have? Throughout the recording, I was just like, what? (laughs) At a point I even started crying. That is just on brand for me. My... (laughs) My tears are always so ready to just, uh, whenever, just take away my gangster cred at any point in time. But I love that he really spoke about, you know, that challenge with fitting in. I felt it in the media industry. I feel like I've shared this on an episode before, but like the first photo shoot at my first radio presenter job, they had all of these very, I don't even want to say scandalous. They were just scantily, cheaply looking. (laughs) looks for what the chicks would wear. And I was just like, this is not what I wear on a day-to-day. In fact, this is not even what I define dressing sexy as. So I I don't want to wear this. And none of the other female actually only one other female employee at that time had a problem with wearing those clothes. So we felt a bit like outsiders. And then I remember still during my media career, once my CEO telling me how he likes how one of the female presenters on our radio station that we were basically competing with, so our competition, he liked how she would be like dancing seductively in studio. <laughs> <laughs> and he was saying just to be like, "Hey, so you're adult, so you just bust a move or two. and I was just like, "What the hell? This industry is so strange." I didn't really fit into, and I still don't fit into the popular definition of what beauty is or what success is. But you know, I always remember that as constricting as society's box is it must be very uncomfortable fitting into that box so it's fine we'll just stay outside here it's all right however if you too want to share your story on this podcast all you have to do is record a one minute story demo which you can record on whatsapp audio note and send it to the podcast hotline number which is plus 254-768-628-790. And we'll take it from there and record you remotely. So wherever you are in the world, you can share your story on this podcast. And even if it's not a story demo that you want to share, maybe you have listened to something on this podcast that you resonate with, send me a WhatsApp audio note. I mean, why not?
1: Hi, Adele. My name is Naomi Samantha from Eldoret. Oh my, oh my, I really love listening to your podcast. I really love listening to your
0: personal life stories. I also love the 100 African stories so much. I just love the fact that you are so real with the things you talk about.
1: We connect on some of the struggles that you have gone through. I especially love listening to you in the morning. I started running again about a week ago and it's been an amazing way for me to run in the morning while listening to the stories and just the other episodes so thank you thank you thank you thank you for this podcast you are doing an amazing job continue doing this I pray that you grow and grow and grow
0: thank you so much Naomi for the kind words I really really do appreciate it and more power to you and your fitness journey I hope that can like inspire me to actually (laughs) get back to swimming or doing some form of exercise. (laughs) because i have really flicked in that front, by the way. Let me just report myself. However, remember this podcast does play on Trace Radio here in Kenya. So head over to traceradio.co.ke. The podcast plays every Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 9 a.m. and at 8 p.m. as well. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.